Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Randy, what's going on in your world this week? Oh, in our world, we just launched this old app podcast. So For sure. folks listening to this show that want to perhaps hear about more, I guess, detail, ground level tech um, can head over to this old app onla- dot online, um, which is where we're hosting the new podcast. We have published three episodes, first one being an intro. The second one, we talk about how we as experienced developers are learning more JavaScript, which was, which, you know, there's a difference between how you learn things later in your career versus how you began. So I think we have some insight there for how people can get on the JavaScript train if they've been avoiding it as I did for a while. And um, the third one is an interview with a new developer and her um, forays into CSS grid. So we've got three episodes up there and they are available for downloading. Uh, otherwise, preparing for a uh, doing project management level stuff um, has been most of my week trying to get estimates for a project with a new client and as well as doing some kind of emergency authorization type work for a client that decided a few employees shouldn't be able to delete things that they were previously able to delete. So a little bit of a quick coding work, a little bit of project management, and uh, some substantial amount of podcast development, more than I had planned on, but we kind (laughs) of decided to ramp that up pretty quick. Uh, what's going on for you? Yeah, so so same as far as the the podcasting world and and the other project we're running on we're running together. Yep. Um, and then we've for Aspire Edu we also have um, we we ran into a, a small little issue over the last week, so that raised the whole discussion on testing and and what. It's not that we don't do it. It's that a change was made that was not caught in our testing. Mm-hmm. So we, we had some discussion around um, coverage and is there a way sh- we should increase it? And we're continuing those discussions. So we've we've talked about that on on this on here before. Yeah. Um, so won't dive too much into that. But um, as it relates to um the other product we're we're building and as it relates to other things as well um we've we've talked in the past about how do you make a decision what stack you're going to use what language are you going to program in what database are you going to to frame things around yep. where are you going to host it the, the the whole stack there and um, i think we mentioned that we were going to bring it up at some point and yep. uh mark thompson one of our one of our listeners said absolutely he'd love to hear us talk about it so we're gonna we're gonna jump in the discussion this on that this time so yep. for um for the project we're building currently, we we chose to go with a, a Node.js, Express, um, Firebase currently for for a data store. Um, base and, and and let's talk a little bit. We won't get into the into the nitty gritty details of those technically, but let's talk a little bit about how we arrived at that decision. Well, I guess maybe there's maybe for the listener. I don't know that everyone knows what a tech stack is um, on right. a definition level. So, a tech stack in our world, and you mentioned this, it is all of the. T- if you have a product, um, it is all the tech. But usually, in the, in the past, it was more all your backend tech because you were just spitting out HTML and CSS to the browser. Now, it's largely a back and front end 
as we've made the browser clients more powerful, it's all the tech that goes in from the code to the DevOps to the frameworks and the plugins and everything else you use to get that product to market. And it's no longer a factor of what a company having one tech stack. You know, the bigger a company is, they may have several. Um, in our smaller business world, we tend to, to kind of focus on one per company and one per product, but it doesn't work that way for a lot of firms. And you can tell by their job listings where they're asking for a JavaScript front-end developer um, on one hand, and then they've got a need for a Java developer, probably because they're doing Android native or something on the other. So when it comes to, also when it comes to tech stacks, I think you kind of look at it on two different approaches of what a mature company is willing to employ for a tech stack and what a brand new startup is trying is going to use for their tech stack. So I don't know if you want to how you want to approach the discussion about it. You want to talk about how we chose our current one? Or do you want to talk about how we've chosen ones in the past and leads up to what we're choosing? Well, let's let's talk about all of it. Let's talk about what goes into making those decisions. What what factors? So for for the product we're building, we chose we chose the Node Express Firebase stack mainly based on a Node is kind of one of those things that we're both trying to dig into a bit more. So we felt that this was a good project to really um, hone the skills on. Yeah. Um, we when whenever you do Node Express is kind of the the default um, choice when it comes to a web server. Um, but then we we kind of went back and forth on Firebase as far as a database um, versus uh, a relational database like like Postgres. And I yeah. think that was also a choice on let's use this project as a as a learning environment so that we can dive deeper into into Firebase. Um, that's not the way you're going to make your typical decisions when you're building a production product. Yeah. So um, I, you're not going to build it around around let's let's go learn on it. It's going to be more on what do you what do you know what, what can you get. So go ahead. So like going back to my first CTO job I we were on the tech stack of Microsoft. And so I think a big factor for a majority of CTO technical managers is what is in place already? What do you inherit? So when I started at the financial firm as a, as a CTO, everybody had Windows desktops. The accounting system was based on Microsoft Access. So that was another Microsoft product. Everyone used Excel um, for their spreadsheets. And so every decision I made started from what do they have now and what are they really willing to invest that would deviate from that. And over 10 years, we stayed on the Microsoft stack, mainly because it was good enterprise software. The license fees weren't too high for what we were doing. In the financial space, there was a lot of um, development and support for Microsoft. We weren't kind of we weren't a small firm, kind of going against the grain. There's lots of financial companies at a big scale that were using Microsoft, and I personally learned more Microsoft at that time. Um, I stayed on that stack in my own life using SQL Server as the database, using .NET for web-based side projects. Um, and sticking with Microsoft Office for communications and spreadsheet work and document. But that was because it, it was low risk and I could find consultants to hire on behalf of the company easily. And so the input that went in there was affordability, accessibility to development, development and developers, the low risk um, choice of the stack, the stability of the stack, um, how much information was available 
online, which was a pretty good amount. We didn't have Stack Overflow at a strong amount, like as accessible as it is now. But we had, there was plenty of Google searches that could get you answers to problems that you would find in the Microsoft stack. So those are all the factors that went into that particular choice um, for an established company. And I would say that the low risk factor was a big one for me in the sense that if I, if I, if something were to go wrong, and if someone said, why did you choose that Microsoft stack to be on? I could kind of be like, why wouldn't I? There wasn't really some alternative that I would be looking like, wow, you really took the company in a weird direction by jumping on PHP for a financial firm. So yeah, the, the, the old, the old phrase that used to be, no one gets fired for choosing IBM became yeah. no one gets fired for choosing Microsoft. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, that those were the factors that went into the financial firm being on Microsoft. Now, I when I left that company, the first thing I did was jump onto the LAMP stack, and that is an open source based stack with uh, Linux. Apache is the A, that's the web server, the M stands for My, MySQL database. And then P is PHP. And using that stack, I started work in Drupal development, content management system platform. And I spent the next probably two years strongly focused on LAMP um, type of technologies and development. But that was when I was no longer working for a firm. I was, or in terms of, I no longer was CTO at a firm where I was responsible for all tech. I was now doing client-based work on website projects, and so everything changed in the scope of what I was expecting out of a stack. So let me stop you there real quick. Did did the fact that all of those be were open source? Did that open source and therefore f- license free? Um, paid license free play a part in the decision. It did uh, when I made that second when I switched over. It made a. Yeah. It was definitely important because of I was now no longer guaranteed a salary and benefits from a previous company. Um, it mattered to my clients because they didn't want to pay for software when the alternative was I don't want to pay for the software. I just pay for the labor. So. Now I made it clear to all my clients, we are using open source. This is not, this is at the time it was, it wasn't brand new, but it wasn't mainstream like it is now. And so I had to tell my clients, Hey, by the way, we're going to be using libraries that the person maintaining some of these libraries could just quit. You can't do anything about it. And there's risk in that. But the alternative is pay these license fees to Microsoft. And they would always be like, how many big companies are using these open source things? I'm like, a good number. And they're like, do you think someone, like the entire ecosystem would quit on this? I'm like, I doubt it, but it's possible. And they're like, we'll roll the dice. It's worth it on the on the charge. So it, I think it is a big deal that license fees are not part of the stack for why people are switching to open source um, stacks. Um, that is still, I still think that's a driver um, when you look at enterprise level fees and licensing for code. For sure. I, I know when, when I started on the LAMP stack, and I think I started a little earlier than you did, um, you were mm-hmm. still on the Microsoft then, and I was on LAMP. A lot of what drove my decision was, I can get all this for free. I don't have to pay Microsoft a few hundred dollars for um, yeah. uh, the the TechNet CD that got you all the all the licenses and all the programs you needed, um, that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, I, 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 now this was probably late '90s, um, maybe into the 2000s, but. Um, but yeah, that that played a part uh, for me as well. Um, 
So after after Lampstack, you moved on to you personally moved on to Ruby and Rails. Yes. Um, what what drove you that direction? Oh, definitely community, um, community and best practices. The rail. So I switched. I went and worked for. I went actually. I went and talked to a company, um, DevMind Software, at the time. They had just started out. And I had said, hey, if you guys are looking for consultants, I'd like to, you know, work with you. And they just said, well, we are Ruby on Rails based. And do you have any skills in that? And I'm like, not really. They're like, well, we can't take you on right now. So I'm like, okay, makes sense. I didn't have the skill set that they really needed and they were new. So I went and worked for a company, um, Vibes Media. I talked about them in the past. And Vibes um, was not, they were a .NET stack at the time for their entire company. But what they needed to do was start building more mobile apps, more web-based presence. And they could not find any developers um, or or I would say not willing to pay maybe developers at the time um, to do that. And I I told them straight up, I I don't know Ruby on Rails, but I want to. So if you hire me, I'll learn it and do it. And they're like, that sounds good enough. We'll, you know, like the other attributes you bring. So I learned Ruby on Rails um, using, I think, what was the web server was at the time? I can't even remember. It was a Ruby on Rails stack, Ruby stack on Linux or Mac and Linux. So I basically did a full switch. I got off of Windows computers. I went to Mac. I started doing Ruby, Ruby on Rails, and then that also brought in the need to learn some JavaScript, at least with jQuery as the main framework for for the front end. And I just started cranking out tons of work based on Ruby on Rails. And so now Vibes had a new stack in their company that my team was essentially running um, by itself in that sense compared to the rest of the team still doing Microsoft stuff. And then two years, like eight months later, I talked to DevMind again. They're like, hey, you've got the skills we need. We need to hire. How about let's do this? And I joined DevMind and pretty much worked strictly on the Ruby on Rails stack for about two years. And the reason I wanted, I was motivated from the vibes to the DevMind to get into Ruby on Rails was a lot about the development community and the ease of adopting it. Um, Ruby, compared to any language I've ever learned, is the easiest language, coding language, to learn. It, and we've talked about this in the past, on other, maybe on this old app. The code base, the, the syntax is extremely easy to read. And it's almost, gear, it's almost geared so that it reads like English if you follow some of the patterns that they, um, conventions that they push, as well as it's local to Chicago. The lead developer, the inventor of Ruby on Rails is based out of Chicago, um, a guy named uh, David Hanmeyer Hansen out of Basecamp. They, his company used his framework, Ruby on Rails, to build a product. And as a result, there was a big following in Chicago around Ruby on Rails development. And what they did is they took kind of all the nasty pieces of the PHP stack and said, here, we're going to use a new language called Ruby to be the basis for this framework. And we're going to have a lot of conventions, things, best practices and things you should do to make this framework work. And so you should not kind of wing it like you do in PHP in the PHP world at the time. You should really really follow how we tell you to do things and then you'll have a working product. And frankly, at that point in my career, I was happy to have some direction. I was happy to have people smarter than me say, this is the way you should do this. And I moved from struggling in PHP to get things to work all the time to just follow these steps and you will get things done. And Rails, even to this day, continually has a feature set um, and a they have a testing paradigm that they, people follow that 
allows you to onboard quick and get things done. And that's immediately what I felt when I moved to that stack. So it, it was a terrific move for me on a career basis because I felt like I suddenly had the stable code base to build things and building things helps you learn faster than anything else. But now at the same time I was doing that, you were starting up with Aspire EDU and you didn't go the Ruby on Rails stack way. So I'm curious about when you started with Aspire, how how are you all in the stack you're on now? Sure. So that was that was a decision. Like I said, I was I was full lamp stack at the time. Um, I had dabbled in in Rails, but I did not have the same feeling um, as you did with it. I, just different experience. Yeah. Um, because I was. I wasn't in a position to switch over to a Mac. And to me, it, it, when I, when I tried to, it came down to quite simply when I tried to install rails on Linux or on Linux on windows, it, it was a pain in the neck. Um, I, I, it was, it was so painful to do so that I, I was just turned off by it. But let me break in. That's not, a bad reason. I mean, your laptop is part of the stack. Your device of development is part of the stack. So I don't blame you. They've made it easier since, but I there's a reason why Ruby on Rails is only 7% of development across the world now. And I, it part of it has to do with can everyone use it? So go ahead, continue. Yeah. With that. But yeah. that's a valid so- reason not to get on a stack. For sure, for sure, it, it it's it comes back to first impressions, right? Yep, yep. Um, so, what we did is when we when we were looking to build Aspire Edu, we, um, I had my lamp background, um, but we had and and the learning management system we were going to start with Canvas. Um, was built in in Ruby, um, so that I was leaning either direction to start. But then, we, when we were looking for a developer to build the system, the developer we found was a Python developer. He mm-hmm. had Canvas knowledge. He had um, a little knowledge of what was in the API, um, but his his knowledge was Python. Yep. So when, when I was talking to him, we talked about, okay, do we go with Python, which I don't know? Um, do we go with PHP, which he doesn't know? Um, but he, he'll, be, he'll be in the weeds and can pick up on it fairly quickly. And I, I finally made the decision to take the risk that we would jump into a stack that I didn't know. Um, mainly because the developer had to be the one comfortable. I didn't have to be comfortable. I was allowed to be uncomfortable. Um, But the developer had to be comfortable because otherwise we, we were just going to get stuck. So So let's freeze on that because that's a terrific example of a technical leader can make a choice based not on what they personally know, but based on what the team knows, because in a way the team is the extension of the manager and you don't have to choose. Like, uh, you can choose a tech stack that you personally can't roll up your sleeves and work in immediately because you have the people on staff that can do that for you. And so, I've actually talked to people that I've talked to companies where they've hired a CTO, and the CTO says, I think I'm going to switch this entire project over to what I know. And I'm like, how that's crazy talk to me to think that. It matters what you personally know for a team of like 10 to 15 developers. And you're going to cause that much change in the stack because of your personal knowledge versus everything that's been invested, everything that's been built and all the people that are there right now. So I always thought that that was a really strong choice on your behalf because you had a developer with a skill set. And it wasn't like Python. Python had a good reputation 
Um, oh, sure. And has grown even bigger. I mean, in a way, you made the better bet um, if you compare the growth of Python across the, the country versus what Rails has kind of flatlined on growth. Um, not in, in, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I, I still feel like Rails is highly productive. But if you look at how things have changed over the last decade, other frameworks have taken off and Python is in that, that mix too. So let's, let, let's, let's really take the train off the tracks for a minute then mm-hmm. and talk about why um, why Python's gained in popularity. Because it's been the last two or three years where it kind of was flat and then all of a sudden it jumped up. Um, and it jumped because of all the uh, emphasis on data. Yeah. And Python had some libraries that were really strong in data um, and they've only gone and made them even better. So um, your, your data analysts, uh, your data scientists, your machine learning people, it's, it's a couple languages out there. It's R and it's Python. Yep. Um, I, I, <laughs> I personally love R. Um, I, I've, I've spent some time with R, but if I had, I think, and, and the R people can come hunt me down if they need to. I think if you're going to build a full fledged application, Python's your better choice. If you're just looking to, to crunch some data, R is pretty solid. R, um, yeah. R is like a Buick or an Oldsmobile. <laughs> Sorry. But I mean, it's like you're all, it's, it's an old tech that works. And if yeah. you, you knew it, if you know it, you're going to stick with it. And, and, and again, this was, so, so we'll, we'll try and put the train back on the tracks a little. Um, when, when I was learning data analysis based on Aspire EDU being a, a having analytics component, I, I wanted to dive into it a bit. I dove in, I'm like, okay, um, the, this, this particular tutorial series, um, is based in R. So I'll, I'll go with R. Um, and then I did one on Python as well, thinking, well, now I'll do an analytic series on Python, which is what Aspire EDU is written in. And again, I had an issue of, I didn't have an issue of installing this time. It was an issue of, you know what? I've used R and I've used Python and R is just so much easier to get things done. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I again, I'll, I'll go back to, I think if you're trying to build something a little fuller, Python's going to be the way to go. Um, but if you're just trying to crunch something, R is pretty darn quick to pick up. But here's why um, I didn't get into Python. Every time yeah. I do, every time I looked at Python, I would one, I would look at the community. And for the least the last number of years, there's been this divide on the Python 2 versus Python 3 thing. And for the life of me, I can never get a straight answer which of these two libraries should I be using? And when I would try to look up Stack Overflow issues, I was never it was never clear. Am I dealing with a two or three issue? Should I be using two or three? And is this community going to completely fork and be doing things like kind of left and right? Interesting. And I, okay. And so I had this concern, whether it was unfounded or not. Every time I looked at the the stack, I was like, this is not stack that I feel is solid. But understand that at the same time, people on the West Coast and in the Valley, Silicon Valley, were like all on board the Python train. The data community was on the, the Python train. New York was on the Python train. And I was like, okay, let me look at Django, which is the equivalent of Ruby on Rails, the kind of the web-based framework. And when I would look at Django, I'm like, "There's Django is missing a ton of the libraries and magic that Ruby on Rails has. Why in God's name would I switch when I am so productive in Ruby on Rails? There's no question about the, there's not a fork in the Ruby community. It almost happened, but it didn't happen. And I was just, and I was part of a community in Chicago that was bought into Rails. 
And I'm like, I just never could go full blow, full blast into learning more Python or, or Django because I was really comfortable in the lazy boy of Rails that I had at my uh, in my community here. So that's why I didn't get into Python. And and I, I I wanted to bring it up, but you brought it up instead, so that's fine. I, I it really fascinates me how much a city matters. Yeah, because if DHH was in New York or LA or Seattle or not Chicago, yeah, would you have ended up on Rails? Who knows? Yeah, um, we can't we can't play that game. Um, but it, it fascinates me how much a city matters in, in a decision like that. And it, it, it absolutely does. Um, we, we talked about remote work and we talked about all that, but for somebody to be comfortable working remote, they have to have a community supporting them. And it, it is easier to have a local community support you than, than a, than a remote one. So, um, so anyway, back, we, we ended up going Python Django. Um, we've been adding players to the team along the way that have that strength. Um, one thing I am finding as we go to hire more Python people, I'm having to, um, I'm having to filter through qualifications of, oh, this person knows Python, but it's all in the data analysis libraries. Yeah. Um, it's not on the Django side. So I'm, I'm having to, I, I, it's hard to, to filter that way. Um, cause you can't say Python. Now, I can search on Django. Um, and, and that works, but you, you can't really search on Python because of the explosion of the, of the data community. Yeah. So we, we talked about a couple different stacks there. Um, and we talked about how we arrived at those decisions. Um, let's talk real quick about one piece of the stack, because we've been mostly focusing on um, the language. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the database. And and this is not a MySQL versus Postgres discussion or a um, Mongo versus Firebase discussion. This is a relational database versus no SQL. Um, that's an epi- that's really an episode in and of itself, but it's part of the stack. So it's worth like mentioning um, at least. Sure. I mean, I grew up in relational databases. Um, I feel Everybody like, did. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, nobody grew up in no, no SQL except yeah, for the young folks. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so the whippersnappers are getting introduced to JSON at the beginning. But for us, I mean, our world started in spreadsheets. Lotus 1, 2, 3, if you are that old, and Excel became the powerhouse, which is in itself the basis for a relational database um, in many ways. And so... You start out learning. You might you start learning Excel. You migrate to maybe Microsoft Access. Then MySQL comes along. SQL Server was the powerhouse version of my MS Access, and then Postgres showed up. And for the majority of projects, learning SQL and using relational databases was pretty much the stack you were introduced to for how to do, how to use databases, how to persist data. And then there wasn't some major paradigm shift, different way of thinking about it. That's all the way up to about 10 years ago. I mean, when did it it probably probably started creeping in, but it really didn't get a hot and bothered until probably six, seven years ago. Yeah. I, I, that, that, your story in and of itself was fascinating because you started with spreadsheets. Yeah. That's not how I started with, with relational databases. And it, it's just a difference in our background. I, in our computer science classes in college, I remember the maroon relational database book. I loved that book. I mm-hmm. loved rela- relational databases made so much sense to me just because of the way they were ordered. Yeah, And then that led to, 
hey, I can use spreadsheets to do the same thing. So I had almost the flip of that, um, which which is utterly fascinating in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but then, then we did have this introduction of the of the NoSQL com- um, community stack, whatever you want to say, um, which. Every time I tried to dig into it, I'm like, this makes no sense. <laughs> uh, I, 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 it's so unordered where this is chaos. Um, now, since then, I've had the opportunity to do one or two things in it, and I'm starting to see the, the benefits in it and the fact that not everything has to be as ordered as you like them in a relational database. And sometimes having it uh, the way it's set up is is more performant um, than than a relational database can be. I watched uh, <laughs> on that note. I watched a video, some videos the other night on uh, modeling NoSQL, and there's no two, such thing. Two, two, <laughs> two, I know, right? Two subjects came up: purposefully denormalizing your database, having repeating data across different documents. And multi-path updates to maintain consistency. Basically meaning you may have a whole user document with a username and everything. And you may have another document or or collection that has user data associated. And in our relation world, you have an ID that links those things. But in, in the case of NoSQL, you may just take that user profile and shove it into the other collection. And I... Go I've ahead. never wanted. I, I've never wanted to punch a video <laughs> tutorial person in the face so much. Like, hey man, I know what you're saying, but this is wrong. Just this is wrong, and you need to be punished for saying this. And <laughs> and I still, but I, I the thing I did is I wanted to. I read the comments in the video, and it was on YouTube. I read the comments below. Mainly to see like how many people agree with me, and there were people that agreed, and there were people that were explaining why you need to get off that thought process. And you said perform it, and I think that's what it comes down to: is we have grown up in this world where normalized data data doesn't isn't repeated throughout the system; it, it's linked through references and performance online in a world of click events and multiple connected users requires a different data store. I still want to punch the, that guy in the face just for, <laughs> just for saying it, but I think he's, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve that abuse. I think um, we may have found our next guest. <laughs> <laughs> Not if he hears me talk about what I, the violence. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's hard to, to, the idea to move across those stacks of persistence layer, it's hard when you've grown up in that one side and it works. Like I'm not motivated to move to the NoSQL that much. I can get so much done in the SQL side. And I know lots of developers. I've had this conversation with people so many times of the, of the echo chamber of the SQL devotees that I know and we keep on looking at the NoSQL side. We're like, why are you doing that to yourself? Like, why make it that hard? And so I'm still on the fence, but I'm yeah, starting but, to, I'm warming up to the idea. But uh, but here's I, I two points. And I had another point, but you just said something. I got to grab a hold of that. Sure. Um, so I, what I have to grab a hold of is the fact that you said echo chamber, the the term echo chamber. <laughs> yes. So why why did you and I choose to use Firebase for this product we're building? Should we talk about the conversation we had Saturday first? <laughs> <laughs> that is all part of it. So we we initially said when we were building this, we were like, uh, oh, Firebase SQL, what do we want to do? I, I and and at the end of the day, we said we're going to use Firebase because we're going we're going to try and learn something as we're building this. And then Saturday, <laughs> you said, "I don't want to learn this anymore." 
<laughs> I basically was I was in a ball. Well, I was I was curled up in a ball on the floor crying, <laughs> saying, I don't want to do this anymore. SQL works fine. I'm gonna just figure out how to do node and postgres. But but as a CTO, do you now feel you're in a better position to start evaluating when you might be able to use NoSQL properly? Oh yeah. Were um, you in that position a week ago? Well, there's two sides to it. I was approaching it as a C, as a CTO when we were talking at the abstract level, what stack should we use? I had the opinion, yeah, we should go down the NoSQL route. We're building a mobile um, message platform. Speed is a big deal. That's what NoSQL folks, and scalability, because we expect a high volume of storage, which is what the NoSQL community pretty much says are the two biggest things um, for why the, it's a good platform. When I got in, rolled up the sleeve, started looking at the code, I suddenly found myself in a position where, wait a second, I don't have a community and I don't have a developer that knows this, which was me. Um, so I've started flipping to now I'm using a tool set where I have to relearn a bunch of stuff. I don't have, I, I, in the SQL world, I can find out answers to problems like boom, because I know the vocabulary, I know the context. Because there's 50 years of history on relational yeah. database. And exactly. And I don't know who online I can trust for the NoSQL advice. I still, even to right now, I'm still not sure on, okay, I get the denormalized thing, but what's the best way? Like, where do I go too far? I know in Postgres and MySQL, I know the extremes of like, don't go near that cliff because you'll fall over the edge. There's no need to do that. I don't know what the, I don't, I have no, I'm in a pitch black um, ledge, and I'm not sure if the next step is two feet down or a 20 foot drop. All right, so, but 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 let's get back to my point, which sure. was, I think you're a better CTO today because of that you're diving into building a project on something you don't know, so that when you have that decision point to make in the future, yeah. you now have more experience on both sides of the fence. And there are going to have to be some times when you're going to have to choose that uncomfortable thing. Yeah. But we both made the decision, let's go down this road because we want to learn this. And part of that is we want to learn it because we want to be able to speak more intelligently about it. And, yeah, and get I, out I, of our echo chamber, right? I have an expanded um, context for the NoSQL side that I definitely right. didn't have before. That is very true. And and we're, we're a week into it. By yeah. the time we finish building this, this product, you'll be further down. And we will have jumped off a couple of those cliffs, I'm sure, yeah. um, that, that we know to avoid in the, in the relational world. So that, that was point one that I wanted to grab on because I, I think it's really important. It's one of the reasons why you and I keep building, keep learning on our own. We can go out and hire somebody to build this thing for us. Yeah. Um, but if we build it, if we learn what's needed, we keep our, our noses as to what's relevant. We're not, that doesn't mean we're, we're no, no SQL devotees. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Far from it um, at the moment, but we're more intelligent about it now. Well, I think um, in hindsight, I should have done this a long time ago. When I was a CTO um, at Innovations for Learning, we never really we like we had a product that probably could have used the high speed transactional side of things for. Um, at least for one of our products. And I didn't go down that path because I just didn't know enough about NoSQL. And what I should have done is pretty much what I just sat down and did part of Saturday, and uh, which was watch some videos of people building stuff in NoSQL. I don't care about their stack. Like, to learn this piece of the stack, I don't need to know the whole thing. And I think that was... Uh, my brain has had to change... And why, this is what I think tech leaders need to kind of get is that you don't need to know 
the high, the low level details of a stack to learn enough to start building context to make your choices. There you go. But it is, but it's hard. It's hard to just go based on the conjecture, kind of like the Python two, three debate that I was focused on. Right. How important was that? I don't think it's that important, but I based a lot of my Python choices or lack of them based on that divide I saw, or maybe I was making that an excuse. I could have watched some tutorials, videos with someone building in Python and I'd see how it mapped to what I already knew. And that's why learning NoSQL is a lot, lot easier, I think, than a, because I have this full context for how SQL works, and I'm mapping the contrast between NoSQL and SQL, and I'm able to see, like, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big of a change. Right, and I think, I think that's important for us, and I'm further down this road than you are, but I think it's important for us as we age to keep doing that because yeah. brain elasticity – goes away as you age. Um, And the only way to maintain it is to jump in like this. So it it keeps us, it keeps us relevant. And, and that's, if there's a, if there's a point to make there, it's, it's, even if you're not diving into the code, do some reading, Um, do some reading, get out of your echo chamber, get out of what's comfortable. This goes back earlier to what you were saying about uh, a tech leader coming in and changing what the team has already built. Um, In some cases, that's a good idea. If the team is stuck in a rut on an old technology, it may be worth evaluating, do we need to move to something newer? Um, But it's not always the right case. So it's it's worth an evaluation. Um, I think, and the last point I wanted to make on NoSQL, and we'll wrap up here, the, the last point I want to make is I think this all came about right about when we all started to discover that storage was getting infinitely cheaper. Um, because as you taught, as you said, you're repeating a lot of things mm-hmm. in new SQL. So the cost of storage matters when the cost of storage went down all of a sudden you can repeat these things all over the place and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but it does make it more performant. So, well, part, so that, that was the last piece I wanted to bring up part, there. Another part of the stack, um, and this is what I think le- leads a little bit to the NoSQL, is the transmission payloads. When we use APIs sure. and, our, and our apps talk to each other or talk to servers, our, we started out in SOAP and some other formats I don't ever really know. CSV is actually considered a format. And we, I think the industry, the web industry, kind of started to go down the XML path. And people weren't really overly happy with that format for data transmission. Um, and JSON, JavaScript object notation, kind of took over as this is the best way to transmit data between um, two different clients or servers uh, with, you know, over an API. And then I th- people are like, well, why aren't we storing our data the same way that we're transmitting it? What's the problem with that? And so that's a little bit that led to it. But the your part of your stack is that transmission piece. How are you going to provide? And there are, com- there are firms that do APIs that provide XML and JSON. And then there are firms, God help me, I had to work with one that did tab-based delimiters in a file. <laughs> and I'm like, you are old. Like, this is old as dirt. And even the support team was like, we apologize for this file we're sending you. <laughs> you know, But that transmission piece is part of your stack. And it's an important thing because it really affects your support for external firms that may use your data uh, for your company. So for sure, we with, with, with Aspire EDU, we're still asked to produce CSV files for a number of clients for yeah. input into their systems. I did it last um, week for a client for a. We, yeah. I did that last week for a vendor. So yeah, I get, I, I get the feeling CSV never goes away. It's yeah. one of those technologies that we're going to use forever. Yep. Now, we've avoided talking about, not avoided, we just haven't got to the one stack. We kind of talked about it on the fringe, JavaScript. Like, that is the stack of the moment. 
in terms of web development. The, langu- the, the language of the moment and, and it drives other decisions within the stack. Sure. Yeah. So we are doing side projects. We've started to switch to a more JavaScript based stack. The, the course I taught at Northwestern is basically a coding boot camp for front and back end full stack development. All of it's JavaScript. Like, we do teach MySQL relational a little bit, but Firebase and Mongo are the two main data stores that we teach. And the students would continually ask me, why are, we te- why are you teaching JavaScript? And is this the best thing for us to learn? And hey, you're Ruby. Why don't we be learning Ruby? And from, an, from a looking at the landscape, looking at the growth, looking at the industry, learning JavaScript which is to me way harder to learn than Ruby is still the better, like this is, you'll be able to employ this JavaScript runs across the full stack in like as farther than any other language I've seen, JavaScript can go across the full stack. And so learning that as your base language gives a person more options at the same token, a CTO that is part of a startup is looking to, how can I have my development team less segmented on front and back end? Using JavaScript, in a way, allows you to do that. Right. If, if you look at the new um, providers out there for hosting, you see that all of their options, like I can tell you right now, one of my motivations for getting deeper into JavaScript was that I started to see less Ruby examples for all the providers out there. Whether I was looking at Auth0, their Ruby support is weak. Why? Not because Ruby, not because they're um, dropping the ball, but there's not a lot of demand. They were following the demand, and the demand was Node. The demand was Android and iOS native. And so they they focused there. There were providers I was going to, and they they don't even have Ruby examples at all. I see that on the AWS stack right now. They're um, Firebase too. Ruby and Rails is not even part of their discussion, and it has to do with developer demand. And that starts to tell you, like, hmm, not that Ruby's dying, but it's not as growing as fast as the others. And so Node is one where I feel it's a the, very efficient for me to be part of that stack going forward more because I can get more done. And I know if I'm building a product, I can hire developers that can work across the stack easier. Right. And and JavaScript probably, JavaScript from a tech executive standpoint, probably deserves its own deep dive. Yeah. Um, probably deserves its own episode. One thing I wanted to grab onto that you just said was you talked about how Ruby isn't being provided examples for um, and you said that not because it's dying, but because it's not growing as quickly. And I think that's something that as an executive, to wrap all this up, I think as an executive, that's something to be very sensitive to. Sure. Is it is very easy, extremely easy to get caught up in what's hot. Yeah. Um, what is hot is not necessarily what is best. Um, is is almost certainly not what is best, and is also not necessarily what is what has the best support. What is the best for your application? That sort of thing. Um, there's still a significant portion of uh, of applications and systems using Ruby on Rails, even though if you were to look at growth. Ruby's way down. Ruby and Rails are way down the list. Yeah. Um, there's still significant support and a significant num- number of systems oh, out there. And so, so let me, yeah. I, I, in order this not to become a Ruby is dying or Rails is dying, <laughs> meme, I will say that Rails released five point two version five point two. The releases are very stable these days, meaning you don't find yourself stuck where I can't move forward with this update right? and I've got to upgrade a ton of stuff, but they just added the killer feature 
that I feel like has been one people have wanted for a while, which is tying Rails to backend file storage, whether it's on S3 or Google Cloud. Sure. And all like all of a sudden they dropped in this feature in the Rails platform that's like, whoa, you are solving a huge problem. And in a way, I'm like, oh, I just started learning more Node and I'm giving up that new feature, which is what I've wanted for years. And so DHH and the Rails community is still strong as heck. Like they are yeah. they are still producing yeah, for sure. great stuff. They do security updates. The community still has people talking. There's it's not dying, it's mature. And All right, so you've you've well defended the Rails community now. <laughs> but now, but here's a flip side. This is one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to Firebase has to do with Google. I grew up in an era where Google, the Google stack of applications, were just retired without any thought. And Firebase's predecessor in the world was Parse. And Parse was bought by Facebook. And Facebook, and Parse had momentum like Firebase does now. And Fire, Facebook just said, ah, we don't want this anymore. We're not, not going to be in the business of providing services like this. And they just killed it. And so right. given Google had retired, had killed off um, like a note-taking app and a, the Google Reader at one point, and their support has typically been just horrid. Like they just don't talk to you. Like they're like, here are all these cool free tools, but we're not going to support. I was like, why do I want to invest a, a company or a client in this stack when I'm, the history of Google is if this doesn't work out, we're going to just drop you like a rock. And that's what you have to consider with your stacks is that for sure that Rails stability, that Python stability or the hotness and the fact that the parent company has never been straight with the development community. Now, right. people people have been arguing, I've been reading it, oh no, Google's so invested, they'll never drop this. That would be, they, they would look so bad. I'm like, when has looking bad ever mattered when billions of dollars are on the line? Like, it doesn't. And you can't, you can't make those bets. Or, or it, it, you can make those bets, you just got to know the risk. So I'm still not 100% on Firebase simply for the fact that what if Google gets bored with this and this is not the way they want to go? Right now, nothing says that to me that they want to. But I just don't right. always trust Google when it comes to if this doesn't become a big enterprise level investment from the community, will they drop it? And that's fair. That's I, that, I don't that, know. That's, that, that's a fair thing to look into when considering. So, all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up for today. Cool. Um, we've got we've got more work to do. Uh, I think it's another weekend of coding, and we'll see where we come out. I think we're close to launching a test version of it, so we can run it by a, a small group of people. So, awesome. And maybe we'll very maybe good. We'll, all right, and we'll be talking more about this project on this old app because it's more in the absolutely so. Eventually, we'll be posting episodes where we kind of have more one-on-one -on -one conversations related to the project. Uh, only other thing I'll add for those folks listening, we I don't we never really pitch like, hey, leave us reviews on iTunes, and that's something you hear on a lot of podcasts. And I've kind of been like, ah, self promotion, but we need reviews. Like it, it's helpful. It gets the word out. It does help Apple recognize your podcast. So if you have time, you don't have to actually write a ton. You can just say, uh, here's a number of stars and thumbs up or something. Or I wish they'd said talk more about other stuff. I'm not trying to push what stars you choose, but reviews on iTunes would help. We'd appreciate For if sure. you could leave us a few. Yeah, please do. All right. All right, very good. Thank you, Randy. We'll talk again Later. soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, 
please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com, voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. Thank you.